Wesley's conversation actually ended up sparking the most tumultuous era of our marriage. It turned out that Leslie did not, like Leslie did keep encouraging me to go, and I kept resisting. After all, what did I need church for? I was a success in my career. I had a house in the suburbs, a wife, two kids, a nice car. Who needed God? Besides, to me, church was four things. Boring, hypocritical, money-grabbing, and irrelevant. Does this describe how you are feeling this morning? Perhaps you know someone who feels this way. Have you ever asked yourself, what good is Christianity anyway? Maybe you are a Christian, but now your beliefs are stale and you seem only to be going through the motions. Is there anything more? Lee Strobel continues in the opening of his book, The Case for Christ. He says, yet over the next couple of months, I started a sensible, subtle change. I sensed subtle changes in Leslie's character. I'm not saying she turned into Mother Teresa overnight, but there was a definite blossoming in her personality. I detected it in the way she related to the children. I saw it in her more loving demeanor toward me and others. I watched her develop more self-confidence and patience. Does Christianity work? Is Christianity more than just a motion you go through? And as we think about the resurrection, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? We begin by asking the question, is the resurrection real for me? In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, Paul begins to describe to Christians how Christianity ought to change lives. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ. To be alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we look at what Paul says here to these Roman Christians, he's telling them that there is an impact, there is a change that happens when we become united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And one of those things that changes is that we have become alive with Christ. And when we become alive with Christ, we die to sin. Our life changes. He says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And he points out that Jesus died once and for all. That was God's power over death. Death couldn't touch Jesus. And now death can't touch you and me. Spiritual death. And that physical death cannot keep us down. It's just a momentary setback, so to speak. But you see, we've been made alive with Christ. And so when Jesus came up out of that tomb, we live with him. And we've died to that previous life that we've had. We've died to sin in our life. We live instead, Paul says, to God. 
in Christ Jesus. And so our focus is now living with Christ. He, he says, even so, verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, that's where the change comes. The change comes because I make a choice. I'm no longer going to live for whatever I wanted to do before. Maybe sometimes those were good things. Maybe sometimes those were bad things. But you see, my focus changes so that now I am living to God. I am living toward God. My life is all about serving God. And so Paul says, things change. We've died to sin. We live to God. And so he says, consider some things. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Our transformation needs to be real. The idea of consideration means consideration after evaluation. After evaluating myself, after evaluating what I've gone through, now I'm living for God. And I've decided to be de dead to sin. Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for us to think about living for God? Why is it so hard for us to think about heaven? Why is it so hard for us to put aside the things in our lives and follow God? If the resurrection is just an abstract thought. It's a future state. It's far off. It's something hard for us to think about. And therefore, it becomes hard for Christianity sometimes to be real in our lives. And it is. None of us thinks about the fact that, hey, I, I could die tomorrow. The Lord could come back this evening. Come back right now. And, and it's far off. And because it's far off, it's, it's hard for us to imagine it. It's hard for us to conceive it. It's hard for us to taste it even though in our hearts we believe it to be the case. And so because of that, it's easy sometimes for our Christianity to become stale and bland. And we get caught up doing all sorts of other things. And that's when my attitude and my actions, my behavior, don't necessarily change to serve God or to be God-focused or Christ-centered. That's when others see Christians is nothing more than just hypocrites because they say, well, this Christian over here is continuing to do the same thing that the world does. Why would I become a Christian? I can sleep in on Sundays. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to rush home on Wednesday night so I can make it to Wednesday evening Bible study. I don't have to ask people if they want to hear about Christ. I get all that stuff away from me. I mean, why would I want to become a Christian if these folks are doing the exact same things? There's nothing different about them. And, and to the world, when they see Christians who haven't made that transition in their lives, they haven't truly given themselves to follow God, that's when people look at Christianity and say, it's just a sham. Or maybe it looks like a sham to someone in the room this morning. I don't know. Maybe it looks like a sham to someone in your sphere of influence. And that's why Paul says it needs to be more than a vague belief or an needs to be a value that changes our behavior by us considering ourselves dead to sin. So Paul says, because of that, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body 
verse 13, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so Paul says, look, what you do in order to get out of this mindset of continuing to be in sin and get yourself in that mindset that says, I'm dead to sin. He says, here's what you have to do. First of all, he says, don't let sin reign in, in your mortal body. For some who are reading this in his original letter, they have the idea that, that becoming a Christian means uh, it's impossible to sin. Or for some folks, when we talk about this, uh, they think, well, that means it's impossible for a Christian to sin. Well, that's not what Paul means, that it's impossible for a Christian to sin. In truth, Paul is using a command statement. He says, do not let sin reign. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll never sin, but it does mean that you have changed your mindset so that you don't let it rule over you. It doesn't control your life. Sin controls my life when I cave in to obeying its desires. Every time I choose to listen to sinful desires or passions, I let sin rule in my life. But I have a choice. And that choice is I'm going to not follow that desire. The idea of rule or reign that something controls you. doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to sin from time to time. But think about it. Letting sin control your life. Letting sin have a way with your life. That's different from every once in a while you commit a sin. Now, when I'm not saying go ahead and commit those sins and just say, well, I just committed a little sin. It's no big deal. But sometimes we think, oh, man, I blew it. What's going to happen to me now? That's what God's grace is, and that's what Paul's saying. Shall we continue in sin so maybe I'll never be? But you see, there are some folks that let sin rule their lives. Every time they have a passion or a desire, they cave into it. Paul says, don't do that. Don't let sin rule in your life. And sometimes we're so consumed with sin that it does control our lives. Sometimes I want to get even with my spouse in an argument, so I push her buttons. Do you have buttons? Everybody has a button, I suppose. Right? You have a button. You know what gets on your skin. And after you've been living with someone for a short period of time, they know how to push your buttons, don't they? Yeah. If we, took, we could have a fun game right now and everyone identify what your spouse's <laughs> buttons are, Right? wouldn't be a good Easter. Might be good for April Fool's Day, though. I don't know. But we all have buttons. And people know how to push our buttons, and spouses know how to push them. And sometimes we're in an argument, I'm going to get that guy. Push his button. And so we do things like that. Uh, sometimes a person wants one more drink, and they head for the car. As soon as that car shifts into drive, that person risks getting a ticket at the very least. The most, they put everyone else's lives in harm's way. Sometimes I feel lonely. So I turn to an intimate relationship. And in doing so, I put my marriage at risk. I put my family at risk. 
I risk transmitting something that I wish I never had. Sometimes I want more than I can afford, so I charge away my future, and I'm unable to buy a home or other things that I need. The payments keep me from being able to afford simple things in life. And maybe pretty soon I find myself that I can't make the payments that I need because I'm so full of debt getting the things that I want. There are lots of ways that sin can consume our lives. And I suppose we could put more pictures up and come up with more things. But you see, Paul says, don't let sin reign in your life. Change your life. Change your mindset to thinking about how can I live to God? How can I serve God? When I let sin rule in my life, so I obey its desires, my life gets more and more difficult. But when the resurrection is real, all these things are not a problem for me. And so Paul goes on. And he says in verse 13, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members of instruments of righteousness to God. We talked about it in our Bible class this morning. Our bodies are vessels. We have been set aside. We have been sanctified. The Holy Spirit says this is a special vessel for my work. And so Paul says, look, when you've been baptized, you've been united with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and you come up out of that watery grave, you have died to sin. Now live your life, not for self, not for instruments of unrighteousness, but live to God. Live your life as though your instrument, your body, is an instrument for God to use. Have you ever wanted to be wanted? Have you ever had a need to be needed? Have you ever loved to be loved? God says, I want to use you. God says, I want you to know that I need you to be serving in my kingdom. God says, I want to use you to do something awesome. Folks, there are people all over this world that are just dying for someone to say, I need you. There are people all over this world that are just waiting for someone to throw their arms around them and say, I love you. There, there are people that are just wishing that someone could do something with them. And there's a whole lot of people in this world today that look at themselves and say, I'm worth, worthless, I, I'm useless, I can't do anything. And God says, yes, you can. And I want to use you. I can use your help. I can do something with your life. I can make something happen with the skills and the talents and the abilities and the knowledge that I, God, have given you. So Paul says, instead of using your body for instruments of unrighteousness, use them for instruments of righteousness to God. Have you ever known that person 
went all through college, smoked a lot of funny things, drank a lot of funny things. And yet they had great intellect, and they just let it all go. And so now, now they got some job that they can barely keep. Bills stacking through the roof. And they have a hard time getting by. And you look back at their life, maybe they look back at their own lives. Maybe that's you looking at your own life and you think, you know, if I'd have just made this different choice now, how different my life would have been. Paul says, don't use your body for instruments of unrighteousness, but use them for God. God can do things with you. Use your life for God. So he says, don't go on presenting your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Because we have a choice. We can allow our bodies uh, to be used uh, for things that are good. We can present our bodies to God as though living from the dead, and that's true. I've changed my life, and because of that, I'm like a brand new person. I've been raised from the dead. So with the resurrection fresh in my mind, it means something real. When I have that attitude and mindset, it means something real. And I can see Jesus as being dead to sin. And I can say, I died right along with him. My body of sin has been done away with. And because of that, I'm living a new life. And I'm not going to use my body for those things anymore. And I'm going to instead follow God. Why? Because I've chosen to change my mind and my life from one which I lived by the rule of sin. When I was controlled by the rule of sin, now my life is controlled by the grace of God and by God. As long as I'm outside of Jesus, I still have all those old sins with me. We back up here in chapter 6 of Romans. Paul says, do you not know that when you were crucified with Christ in baptism, you crucified your old body of sin? So I've done away with all of that. I don't have that in my life anymore. And I'm that new creature. And my life has changed. Can you see what your life can be when you make that choice? Instead of pushing his buttons during the argument to go higher, to escalate things, you put aside your pride and your anger. Wouldn't your life have less stress? Why don't you have more peaceful conversations in your marriage? How would your time at home getting drunk and driving? You put away your drunkenness in your life. You don't have to worry about getting a ticket. And you certainly don't have to worry about killing anybody as you drive down the road. And your life is much easier. Instead of filling your loneliness with intimacy with strangers. You find a loving spiritual family. You have no worries of destroying your marriage by your actions. Perhaps your marriage improves. You have no guilt of breaking another's heart by using them. No backlash. You don't have to worry about having to go to the doctor for strange things. Instead of caving in to what you cannot afford, you are content with what you have. You're not having to work overtime for that new Sega Genesis or whatever the latest video game is. 
or iPad, iPhone, whatever. And said you're able to play catch with your son. You have more harmony in your marriage. You're not fighting over bills. You don't have to worry about whether or not the electric bill is going to go out. And so instead, your Christianity, instead of being still and routine, you contemplate what it means to be raised with Christ. You're representing your body to God for righteousness. You feel closer to the person that you visit when you make those hospital visits. You feel better as you take the school supplies to the schools and you leave those things and you know there are families that are benefiting from those. And you feel the relationship of things growing together as you serve with others. And you have that camaraderie and that blessing of those close relationships with people that you love in your church family. You feel complete and whole and worthwhile because your life has truly changed because of the resurrection being real to you. So what does it take? What does it take to have all those things? How does it take to make the resurrection real in your life? You have to have specific strategies. First of all, it, makes, it takes having a mental commitment to striving for beating sin in your life. I am not going to make those choices. I'm no longer going to allow sin to rule my life. Identify temptations of sin that you struggle with most. And you know what those things are, just like you know what your, spouse, your spouse's buttons are. You know what the temptations are that you face in your life. Avoid those things. Don't go to those places where those temptations exist. Don't turn the channel uh, to those channels where you know those temptations exist. Don't go to those websites that you know uh, are going to have things that are tempting for you. Don't listen to that music. Don't go to that restaurant. Don't go to wherever those temptations exist. Avoid those things. And make things easier for yourself. Pray that God will give you strength to beat each of those in time and avoid those situations. Look for ways to give yourself to God in righteousness. How can you serve? With the talents, the abilities that you have? Are you serving God with all that you have? Or is something else distracting you from serving God? Watch for opportunities to do good to others. Be involved with what we have going on in the church here and in your personal life. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a Benbrook activity in which you serve and bring glory to God. Two different ways that you can serve. Part of the church family as being a Christian. But maybe you're here this morning and you can mentor others as you do those service. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. But you can be. You can become united with Jesus and as Jesus went to that cross, you can die with Christ. Crucify that old body of sin. And as Jesus went down into that tomb, was carried into that tomb, you are lowered into the water and you become united with Jesus in his burial. Three days later, the power of God raised him up from that tomb. And Paul says here in Romans chapter 6 that we have been raised with him to a newness of life. You can have that newness of life by being united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection and then live for God as an instrument of righteousness. If that's what you need to do this morning, why don't you come? Together we stand and sing.